This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. A Los Angeles hospital paid $17,000 ransom to hackers who locked them out of all of their data. The hospital decided to go that route because they considered it to be the easiest way to fix the issue. But this does open up a greater concern within the medical field, especially with medical records having been made digital. Even though it was somewhat of a modest sum of money to pay, Are we going to see more of these types of attacks in a very busy field right now, especially hospitals? Larry Whiteside is the Vice President of Healthcare and Critical Infrastructure for Cybersecurity from Optiv. He joins us on the phone, as does uh, M. Lisa Yao, who is an Assistant Professor of Information Systems and Operation Management at Loyola University down in Maryland. Larry, Lisa, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, Speaking more in general, uh, first, Larry, was it a surprise to hear a hospital get attacked like this in this manner and have their data held up for ransom? No, it wasn't a surprise. Uh, this is a growing problem, and it's, it's actually a problem that's existed for a while. It just hasn't grabbed a lot of media attention. Lisa? Yes, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, we've seen reports back into 2013 as where it was starting to happen in a lot of places. So, I, And there's been a lot of growth. Uh, there have been uh, an Australian government survey suggested that 72% of businesses were seeing this in 2015 compared to 17% two years ago. So but but the, the obviously the biggest concern part of this is the fact that we're talking about a hospital. Uh, where this is happening. And, and with all the data and with all the the, uh, the operations that go on within hospitals, Lisa, this has to be extremely concerning that we're going to see an even greater run on hospitals going forward. Yes, it's definitely a very attractive target for, for um, the hackers because this is data that potentially could risk people's lives. And that means that the hospital's are going to have an incentive to try and recover this quickly and likely want to pay up because that'll be the fastest way to gain access what, to their data. Larry, what is it that health systems, healthcare systems, uh, are not doing now in, in terms of protecting their data? I know, obviously, with regulations, they, they have to be very vigilant in terms of trying to do that, but we've seen now a couple of hospital systems get hacked here in the last year. The, the reality is the healthcare industry as a whole and hospital systems are in a very tough space. Uh, they work in an industry that typically has very low margins, and due to those low margins, they have to figure out how to best uh, manage and spend their money wisely, right? And security has for decades been the last choice of spend. And so their, their first order of business is to really understand the risk that they face and start taking some small steps. Uh, some of these things can, if they just had proper processes and procedures in place, can be avoided. But they've just spent so much time trying to grow and trying to move uh, more towards uh, being innovative from a technological standpoint. Um, they just haven't had the funds or the resources to do it. Lisa, how big of a, of, of a business has this ransomware become in the last couple of years? We've certainly seen reports that it's sort of $30 million dollars. Uh, have been uh, reclaimed in a short period of time, sort of with one particular product, uh, Crypto Locker is one particular um, product that the hackers can use to 
um, implement to do the encryption, to lock the files, to manage the whole ransomware request. And the suggestions were within the first six months of that software becoming available that um, that was responsible for for thirty million dollars in ransom payments. Are we getting to the point where now that this story has come out in, in the media and that, uh, that a hospital was hacked and the information about them uh, paying the ransom uh, has been made public, uh, is this topic big enough where we need to even think beyond just the entities themselves in terms of maybe making some change? You know, are, are we going to see this start to come up as a bigger issue within our government? You know, are, are we going to see potential, you know, a, of, of a push from that angle as well, Lisa? Uh, that's an interesting question. And, and um, I think what we need definitely is to have a larger conversation, to have this be in the forefront so that companies are talking about it, so that the public is talking about it. I'm not sure how much government can do, but by making sure that our information, information about these sorts of attacks, where they're happening, who they're happening to, can get maybe some impetus behind law enforcement to have the technical capabilities to, to be ready to track the problem as soon as it starts. Because one thing that happens is there's a very limited time in which to make your ransom payment. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have all the technology in place to track what's going on, and it's a very hard thing to do, it's why they use Bitcoin um, for the ransom request. If you don't have that already upfront, ready to go, you're not going to be able to have law enforcement help you in any real way. And, and, the, and so, the, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, and the fact that they're using Bitcoin, it just it just plays into a little bit more of the ease of them getting this done, correct? Yes, it does. It's it's a hard to trace currency. It takes um, quite a bit of effort to make it happen, and so you can get your, uh, you know, if I was the attacker, I could get my money and get it out of the system and into cash long before anyone could trace who I was. Right, it further anonymizes what they're doing and, and who they are and where they're coming from. Yeah, and, and Larry, what do you see as being the, the, the best uh, approach going forward uh, in this? Um, honestly, if organizations, and this, this spans beyond healthcare, healthcare is hitting, hitting the, the national media spotlight, but, but ransomware is just another form of a virus. And the reality is, is endpoint security has been stagnant in many ways for a, a couple of decades with a lot of the big players still doing things in the same way. And organizations are going to have to take an approach to look at doing security on their endpoint devices with organizations being more mobile, with people having more access to data, with devices being more interconnected. We've got to look at ways to do security on these end devices better and in different ways because the attackers, as you can see from the ransomware, are becoming more sophisticated in what they're doing to attack organizations. But unfortunately, uh, hospital systems have not kept up with the times in changing their endpoint security methodologies. So that, that's a start. And, and it's certainly not going to get any easier to be able to, to keep doing this because, as you said, this, the, the level of technology within the healthcare industry is growing by the day, by the hour in some cases. You know, so it's not like we're going to be going backwards on this. The, the technology is going to take us even further down this road. That's exactly right. And there, there are more interconnected devices in health systems than ever before, and that is growing exponentially day by day. And so the more interconnected devices, you hear the term IoT, the Internet yep. of Things, right? Yep. Uh, the more that happens, the more devices become uh, prone to this type of attack. And 
health systems are a, a easy target, unfortunately. That is Larry Whiteside of cybersecurity firm Optiv. Uh, he joins us on the show, as does Lisa Yo, who is an assistant professor at the you know, Loyola University in Maryland. Uh, great to have both of them on the show. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to give us a call and join in the conversation. I guess the biggest question is then, in a situation like this, uh, Elisa, should the hospital have made the payment in the first place? You know, I this is a tough one. I, I understand why a business, especially a hospital, would want to make the payment. I, I'd love to be able to say flat out, no, you never should. But the reality is that they have operations that they have to maintain, um, hospital operations. They have individual clients, individual patients that they maybe need real access to those records quickly. And they can't afford to take whatever amount of time it might take to restore everything for backup. So I can certainly see if I was a business person put in that situation that I would choose to pay. But there is... I, I wish I... Go ahead. I was going to say, but realistically, you know, how much of a guarantee is there of, of paying that ransom and still getting access to your data back? That's the problem. Well, that there's yeah, no I guarantee. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say, there, that's definitely a risk to it. But at the same time... From the attacker's perspective, for these attacks to be profitable to them, they need to be able to continue making them. So if it becomes clear that you pay your money and you still have your your files locked, then no one will pay the money. Yeah. Larry? Right. Yeah. And and I'll echo everything she said. Um, You know, there's this, what do they call it, Uh, half dozen on one hand, six on another, however you want to call it. it's hard. It's a real business-based risk decision, right? Some organizations that are not uh, in the, the position where you've got people's lives at risk, yeah. maybe they, they, cha- they uh, choose to not pay the ransom. I do know an, an organization um, uh, that a friend of mine works at, that they ran into a similar situation, and they chose not to pay the ransom, and they took a day to restore everything from backup and went through that. But as a health system, can you make that? Do you have that kind of time? That's really a risk-based decision based on the organization and based on their business. And so I don't fault them. There will be many people in the industry who will say they shouldn't have because it proliferates uh, more people to get into the ransomware business, but it's really an entity-based decision uh, based on that time. And in this case, Lisa, I guess how much does it also in the short term uh, I mean, the hospital obviously is, as soon as they have have been hacked like this, they're looking to be able to, A, get their data back, but B, obviously improve their security. But realistically, until they get it at a higher level, there's still a target for it to happen again and again and again. Yes, absolutely. They still remain a target. Uh, one of the things I want to mention, though, is right now a lot of these attacks depend not only as... as um, as Larry was saying, on the endpoint security, but also on the human security side of things. So these attacks to be successful actually rely on tricking humans into doing, um, clicking on the wrong thing or downloading the wrong file. So at the same time that you're dealing with this incident from the, you know, do I pay the ransomware, do I restore back from backup and, and, and handling the technical aspect, you also need to be starting a really big campaign with your employees about how did this happen and how do we change what we do? How do we get the right processes in place, the right training in place so that this doesn't happen again from that perspective? And I guess that's a little bit of a challenge as well, uh, Lisa, because of the fact that we've seen so many health systems just explode in size. 
over the last few years that you know you're talking about not only just the the, the employees that are probably at the main uh, section of the hospital, but it could be you know ten or twelve other satellite locations as well. And, and we've talked about it on the show that sometimes those satellite locations are working on a little bit of a different system than the main hospital itself. Yes, fair enough. It, it is a huge challenge, and it's a huge challenge in security. It's how do we um, raise awareness? How do, how do we basically secure the human aspect of of this? And every company struggles with this. Uh, turnover is a huge impact on on how successful we can be because you know if you're constantly hiring new people or if they're doing things differently in, in sort of small branch offices, this can make a huge difference to how successful we are in in getting the message out to everyone. Larry, what I mentioned with, with the hospital systems being so expansive, how much of that plays into some of the stuff that, that you guys are doing with various healthcare entities in terms of trying to make sure that that obviously everything is secure, but everything is is basically on the same system as well. Well, it, it's a combination of things, and, and similar to to what Lisa was saying, right? It, it, for us, it becomes a programmatic approach, right? We don't want to go in there. Um, pitching a specific technology because it's not just a technology. It's a people, process, and technology problem. So approaching it programmatically where if you start with some low-hanging fruit like education, many organizations right now, they choose to, if they choose to at all, educate their people one time a year on certain cybersecurity issues. And one time a year is not enough because cybersecurity is an ever-changing, ever-evolving thing. And so having a cybersecurity education program is actually one of the key program elements that we discuss with all organizations as we talk about building a programmatic cybersecurity model, right? But then we also start talking about processes. We start talking about technologies that will fit your business and the business that you're in and help you help prote- uh, put protections in place to just give you the level of protection you need to mitigate risk. It, I guess it is hard, uh, Larry, because you you are, as you said, talking about the human element, which which becomes a big factor in this, and and not only people have to do their own jobs within a hospital or within a business, but they have to be aware of doing this job as well. That's exactly right, and they don't necessarily. The goal is they just need to understand their responsibility and uh, uh, as it relates to cybersecurity, right? Um, when you put a program together around education, you're not asking the employees to be experts in this field because that's not their job. They're doctors, they're, they're clinicians, they're nurses, and so forth. But you're asking them to understand some very basic principles as it relates to cybersecurity. Right? Don't click on things that you weren't expecting. Right? If you see an email come from the CEO, do you normally get emails from the CEO? Right? So there's some very basic things that if you begin to really educate people, and what we found uh, from the industry is if we educate people on things that they can apply at home, they will more easily retain them and then apply them back to work. Right? So when you think about your personal banking, a lot of the things we do from an educational standpoint, we start talking about how they use the computer at home, how they do personal banking, how they do different things on their home computers. And when they take those principles and then they begin to actually internalize them, they bring them back and apply them at work, and it becomes much more successful. I guess, Lisa, going back to the hospital aspect of this, uh, from reading up on this story, there wasn't any major incident that happened within the hospital, you know, over the course of the time it took the, the, uh, the, the facility to get its data back. But, but that is, is a realistic part of this, where somebody who is critically ill, the doctors can't get to the data that they probably need, and that puts human lives at some level in jeopardy here. 
Yes, that, that's definitely true. And it requires um, hospitals to make sure that they do have really good alternate processes. If you lose access to your data electronically, what do you do? I mean, I know that uh, on the, the patient bracelets, if there are uh, medical, if there are allergies to certain medicines, that will typically end up on the bracelet. But are there other things that you don't um, maybe don't know in advance, can't print out, you needed sort of ongoing updated data, there exists definitely a strong risk of harm to a patient in some way. And that is, I think, from the attacker's perspective, what makes a hospital a very attractive target because a hospital is going to want access to their data again very quickly. And um, I would predict that we'll see this, and maybe we haven't heard of other incidences in, in the hospital environment, but combined with what Larry mentioned earlier about sort of the quick uptake and adoption of new technologies and being innovative, mm-hmm. combining that with the sort of high-risk loss-of-life potential in a hospital environment, I, I could see this being a very rich target area for the attackers. And, and I hate to say that, but Larry? it's definitely going to be there. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, hospital networks are so interconnected because access to data is critical, right? It's, it's, it's needed. It has to be very timely so that decisions can be made for uh, patient care. And that being the case, you've got thousands of people, depending on the size of the hospital entity, that have access to this critical data. So it's a target-rich environment. Mm-hmm. And because of the speed at which they operate and the speed at which they have to make decisions, there are many times where they don't have they aren't taking the time to go through and apply some of the basic principles that you try and teach them from a cybersecurity standpoint because they are trying to operate in such a quick window because you've got somebody's life on the line. So this is a target-rich environment. It is a, a, a environment in which data is, has become even more valuable on the, the dark web than credit cards, right? So healthcare data uh, as of today, is more valuable than a person's credit card number because there's more information that can be gleaned from it and there's more you can do with it. So I think this will continue to happen. I think this is just the beginning of, of what we will call a pandemic of trying to hit health systems over the next few years. So then what does that do to an organization like yours uh, in terms of, of working with healthcare systems over the next few years? For an organization like Optiv, what that really means is we've got a we've got our work cut out for us because um, we've just got to go out and educate people. We need to help them understand um, the risk associated with what's happening and what's what we foresee over the next few years, mm-hmm. and how to help how to help them prioritize their risk-based decisions. Because again, when you're operating with a three to seven percent margin of budget, um, it's hard to sort of make decisions on do I build. Do I build a new center or do I spend $10 million to, you know, increase our cybersecurity program? It's a very tough decision, but until they're made aware of their risk profile as an organization and the threats that actually face them, they can't make that decision. And to this point, health systems have not really had that done. They have not really had um, people in their organization who have who've come on and have the ability to help them understand at a strategic board level what are the risks facing our organization, and and how do we mitigate them? So we're talking about basically a, a lot of the same stuff that that the banking sector faces on a, on a daily basis. Fortune 500 companies, you know, companies up and down the line, and, and it seems to be the case, Larry, where we have a, a lot of of big companies, medium sized companies that understand there's a problem and they understand they need to address it but maybe they don't understand the extent that they have to continually address it week after week after week, year after year. 
That, that's correct. And, and a big part of it is, is getting the talent and the skill sets in. Healthcare, unfortunately, has not uh, done a phenomenal job at, at recruiting the skill set just because from a pay scale standpoint, they, don't, they have not historically matched up with the pay scales of a lot of the other industries. So people tend to not jump into healthcare. And yeah. health, you don't see health, a lot of the healthcare guys in the cyber cybersecurity realm uh, over the years. They have not been part of a lot of the large training opportunities. So the skill set uh, that I've found over the years in healthcare has not necessarily been where it has just because we have not been able to pay to get skilled talent. On top of when you add that to the fact that there's a shortage in skilled talent in the cybersecurity arena, right, it just, it just exacerbates the problem. So healthcare is now starting to come around. There are a number of organizations that within the last two years have hired in security leaders, right, chief information security officers to yeah. be uh, a part of the health system and to run the health system and to begin to make these strategic decisions. But it's, it's going to take more of that. It's going to take more of moving cybersecurity from being a technology problem, right, to being a board-level conversation where the CEO and the board are discussing it, and they have a leader who's in there working with them to create a, a, having um, – discussions to create a programmatic approach that is on par with, do we build a new hospital? Yeah. Do we buy this new organization? Because all the, that's, that's the state of cybersecurity today. We're talking with Larry Whiteside of cybersecurity firm Optiv, uh, Lisa Yo of uh, Loyola University based down in Maryland. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I, I guess, Lisa, then, you know, playing off of that point, we're talking about something that, that that companies maybe realistically not only need to change who they hire, but they need to change their thinking a little bit within the HR sector of their company as well to really put this as a as a you know as a top line important item. Yes, and I'm not sure that you know at HR level is where it is. This is, as Larry said, this is a strategic yeah. decision that is really definitely belongs in the boardroom as a discussion. Yeah. A greater discussion of risk management to the organization, and that that's always been true of cybersecurity, but it has in terms of where it should be, but it hasn't always been true in reality. Uh, it's often sort of left down, you know, buried in the trenches within the the, I, the CIO's office, some IT department decisions, but to really take a look at risk management for an organization and the elements of the risk management that actually fall into the information systems and IT realm so that the decisions are made in advance so that we know in advance that should we see this type of an incident how long do we how long are we willing to wait before we um, make a decision to pay a ransom before we make a decision to um, to just cut off our systems and and start to restore from backup because if you make a strategic decision at the board level all of the actual steps will fall in and support the business and as opposed to the other way around. And, and as what we've seen is, is the fact that a lot of these companies, whether they be healthcare systems, whatever, it, where technology is concerned and the safety is concerned, in some respects, they, they're they're playing from behind by not making these investments. And it's very hard, I hate to phrase it this way, but it's very hard to play catch up when, you know, it, this is an ever-changing process day by day by day. Yes, absolutely. It's actually um, an, an interesting quote by... by um, some folks in the cybersecurity world is that, you know, it's a very hard job to to be the defender because you have to find every possible um, intake into your into your network, into your systems, 
every possible attack. An attacker just needs to find one. And, and so this is a huge thing that unfortunately has always been an afterthought in organizations, and we really need to make it a forefront first, first step before we, we move on to technology and innovation. And again, it's, it's going to be a while to change. And again, Larry, going back to something you said, that this is, this is going to be a continuing problem for some time, and it wouldn't be a surprise to see more hospitals uh, kind of affected in this way. No, it, it won't be a surprise. It actually won't be, be a surprise to see many other types of organizations, organizations affected in this way. I think just uh, this got the media attention because it was a health system. It did impact their operations and their ability to deliver care. But I, I can guarantee that there are other organizations uh, affected by this that are, that are being uh, impacted where the, it, because it's not necessarily impacting their operations, we're not hearing about it on the national scene, right? We're not hearing about it at a, uh, at a large strategic level uh, or, or globally because it's not impacting their bottom line. But health systems that are so interconnected and have so much data, it's going to impact their bottom line. It's going to impact a number of things that, that could cause loss of life. Critical infrastructure is another area where, because of the interconnectedness of critical infrastructure, uh, I think if we start seeing it more, once it hits critical infrastructure, that's another uh, uh, vertical that will make national headlines because now you're starting to talk about potential loss of power across regions yeah. uh, of the country. And, and hopefully if, if, if we will have some sort of, of change of philosophy before we get to that point, correct? Uh, hopefully. hopefully, and and it is. Slowly, <laughs> That's why I said hopefully because yeah. I'm not I'm not confident on this either. Yeah, I mean it's a it's the thing is is this can't happen overnight. The problem didn't start overnight, so yeah. the change can't happen overnight. So it's going to take some time, but it's going to take some concerted effort by organizations. Um, I I like that President Obama and uh, national nationally we are actually taking some initiative to create some national policy. And we are driving in that direction. But this is still a company-based decision. Companies have to make the decision, right, and hopefully it's at the board level to strategically make cybersecurity a board-level topic, right, where they begin making programmatic investments in cybersecurity starting from the top down. Because as Lisa said, if it starts from the top down, then things will work and it integrates into the business smoothly. If it comes from the bottom up, then it becomes a fight to, and a struggle to try and make things happen because you, uh, the, the person who's working down in the trenches does not have the, the, the credibility or the clout to have a board-level strategic decision. And so business leaders sort of pushed them off as, as you know, not really being important enough. Lisa? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The other thing I think I want to say is that it's very brave for organizations who have this, this uh, ransomware and, and extortion attempts to come forward and say that this has happened, to say that they've paid... This is because there's no law requiring them to step up and say, I have to do this. This is not a case where the data was lost, was breached, and therefore we'd have to disclose. This is them voluntarily saying this. And this is very brave, and we need to be proud of them, and we need to encourage this because this is the only way we're going to be able to bring the problem out into the open, look at the aspects of it, maybe look for policy change, whatever it is we need to do to try to tackle this um, collectively as a group because it affects Everyone. In fact, not just, you know, this organization, but all of our businesses that are, are prone to this possible attack. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.